founders love to solve problems, and our guest wants to start up dedicated to enhancing the lives of those with visual impairments, including herself, with simple assistive technology solutions. And she's building her startup while completing a fellowship at Johns Hopkins Center for Bioengineering Innovation and Design, where she's leading a team of 10 engineers. And did I mention, I think I have shoes older than her. She's like 23. Come on, folks. Remember, we can't be caged by our age, right? So you're going to love her startup story. And it's Fab Female Founder Friday on the Startup Life live show. Let's glow, everybody, and get this show on the road. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Startup Life live show. I'm your host, Andy Lyons, four times founder and startup champion to founders around the world. And after raising four businesses of my own, I know exactly what you all are crawling through every single day. One minute you're popping the champagne, and the next minute you're crying into it. It's quite the journey. So I thank you for carving out time to tune in and up your founder game while cheering on a fellow founder best way to learn is hearing other founders' stories and how they're figuring things out. And you can take it and apply it to what you're doing. And thank you for sharing your like love wherever you're watching this video, whether live or via replay, click that like button. And if you're tuning in on YouTube and haven't done so already, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Thank you. And oh, by the way, if you resonate with the show's purpose and mission of amplifying diverse founder voices while serving first-time founders around the world, please reach out to me to learn more about how you can make a greater impact on the startup ecosystem by partnering with me here in the Startup Life live show. And oh, by the way, to receive an alert so you know who's coming on the show and who you might be learning from next, be sure to join the Startup Life live meetup group. That's right. Join the group. This way you'll get an alert and you never know. I might be having a founder on who's in your industry and who you could really learn so much from their experience, right? Um, so here we go. I got to tell you all about our guest and it is Rebecca Rosenberg. She's the founder and CEO of Reboca, a startup dedicated to enhancing the lives of those with visual impairments with simple, comprehensive assistive technology solutions. You see, Rebecca was born with oculocutaneous albinism, a condition that affects the body's ability to produce melanin and causes moderate to severe visual impairment, as well as reduced pigmentation in the hair, skin, and eyes. And she was just darn frustrated by the inadequate attempt by folks to solve circular problems with square-shaped solutions. So like any good founder, in 2019, she founded Reboca at the tender age of 20. You're going to love hearing Rebecca's startup story. Let me bring her into the room. Yay, Rebecca. Hello. The crowd is roaring. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Where are you hailing from? I am coming in from Baltimore, Maryland today. Oh, my gosh. I hope it's, you're having better weather than we are here. It's Folks, you know, I just have to do this because it's New England, right? So we always have to talk about the weather. It rained like two inches and then it dropped and got colder. And now we have a, two inches of snow on top of that. It's still snowing. It's gonna go down to six degrees. So 
frankly, we're just sharpening our blades for our ice skates today. <laughs> That's a good way to make lemon or lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to encourage everybody who's tuning in. You startup founders, be sure to share your business name, your one-liner, and your URL in the comment threads. And I'll pull it up here on the big screen, and Rebecca and I will just go, yay, and amplify your brand. And do not hesitate to put questions or comments in the thread while we're moving along, because that makes the conversation more spontaneous. And you might have a question about you know, a med tech found from a med tech founder like the amazing Rebecca. So I just want to encourage everybody for, to do that. And hi, LinkedIn user. They didn't share your name, but I'm just going to say hi, Pat. So happy you're here. And Mia Voss. Oh my gosh. Hi from Denver. And look, folks, go hop on your favorite podcast platform and, <clears throat> excuse me, check out Mia's podcast shit we don't talk about. It is so informative. It's the perfect podcast for you to listen to whenever you are doing something. Okay. So tune in for that. And Mia saying, what a line solving circular problems with square solutions. I had, Mia, Rebecca has such a really good story about that. When you were in high school, Rebecca, I got to tell you some fun, fun stories. So I'm ready to dive in and help people understand this journey that you've had, Rebecca, because we're all called to launch certain a business, right? Sometimes we're just so compelled to solve a problem. And it's really fun to uncover what was the thread? What was the event that happened that you said, you know what? I am going to be that person. I am going to be the one to solve this problem. So before you begin, did you have any entrepreneur roles in your life, Rebecca? Um, no, you know what? Not really. Um, I had always been, I've always been someone who's motivated by experiences. And so I was always out there, you know, wanting to try new things. If there was an opportunity to like run for class president, um, I wanted to do that. Um, never actually got it. Always, always lost those elections, but it's okay. It only motivated me really to, to try for other things. Um, so I guess, I guess, no, not really. I had never even quite considered entrepreneurship until it was kind of all just happening until I had the opportunity and I kind of knew what I wanted to build and was like, you know what, this, this needs to be in people's hands. Um, yeah. And it, it all kind of flowed from there. And I can get a high five thumbs up in the comments, you know, live or via replay if you have felt that way. I mean, I have always called myself the whoopsie daisy founder, never my intention. I definitely never had founder market fit other than maybe skill sets, but it wasn't like I came from a certain segment of industry and decided to launch something in my area. No. So I'm so proud of you. And folks, I'm going to have Rebecca's Instagram feed in the comment threads because you have to go watch her. Uh, and <laughs> she does the greatest reels, but also Rebecca, one of the things that I was really taken by was your, how you learned, how you got your driver's license. And you share that story really nicely on Instagram. Tell everybody a little bit about that thread. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, because I grew up with a vision impairment, 
I was kind of never really sure if I was going to be able to get my driver's license for most of my life growing up. Um, my doctor was like, yeah, maybe, um, you know, we're really not sure. We have to kind of see what things look like when you're 16 or 17. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, so we get our driver's license about a year or so later than most other states. Um, and so I had kind of never allowed myself to be excited about it. Um, I had always kind of just said, you know, okay, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, and so one day I kind of decided after, after I'd watched a lot of my friends get their driver's licenses, I was like, yeah, you know what? This is something I really want to do. I feel like I'm really missing out. I'm really relying on my parents really heavily to take me places. And so I went to my doctor and he was like, yes, you know what? You actually probably can't pass the, um, the vision test that they do at the DMV. But as your doctor, I've evaluated you. I've decided that, you know, you have enough good functional vision to be able to drive safely. And he wrote me a letter. So I did my, um, my driving instruction, my like teaching that you do. Um, and they, they had the letter with them and he took me to the DMV on the first day to get my, my permit so that I could do the driving instruction. And he brought the letter up to the lady at the desk and she was like, oh, well, we don't need this, you know, if she can pass the vision exam. And I was <laughs> like, I can't pass the vision exam. And she was like, we're going to try it. We're just going to do it anyway. Um, and so sure enough, they made me do the vision exam. Um, and I, I didn't pass the vision exam, but they were like, okay, we have this letter. And so that was all a very stressful, um, really pretty uh, awful. Yeah, it's a nail biting experience just in, in the perfect conditions. Yeah, I mean, my mom and I had driven probably about two and a half hours in total to get that letter in the first place, which we wouldn't have done if I didn't need it. Um, so ultimately, um, I do drive. I do drive safely. I do self-impose some restrictions, like if it's nighttime and it's raining, I won't drive. Um, but overall, knock on wood, I've been, you know, very successful in that. Um, well, and I think that that's part of the gumption that you have inside you to be a founder. You're like, you know what? I want to do this. I'm going to have to think outside the box. I'm going to have to meet their expectations, but not in a traditional way, right? It's wonderful that you did that, Rebecca. And I also recall the story that you tell about, you know, in high school, your senior year. And again, you know, you're sitting in the front seat, I imagine, in the front row, right? To be able to see what's being written on the board and, you know, maybe doing some audio backup. But what were the solutions at that time in your life to help you? And especially, you know, on cell phones and things like that. What, how did that work? Yes. So um, all through my, my school life, I had um, pretty much a social worker from the New Jersey organization that supports people with vision impairments. Yeah. And the, they would come and they would talk to me um, and they wanted to always give me these pieces of assistive technology that they wanted uh, to help. And so I very distinctly remember the one instance right as I was about to go off to college, they brought me in to their actual headquarters and they, they brought me into this room that had all of these different pieces of assistive technology. And they were like, okay, um, you know, here is everything that exists pretty much. We're going to show you all of it and decide what you are going to purchase to take to college with you. And there were pretty much two, two sides to that room. And one side, it was um, what's called a CCTV. And it's basically, it kind of looks like a big overhead projector. Um, and it has sort of a, a big monitor on it um, and a place where you can put, a place on the bottom where you can put um, 
reading materials and things and sort of a camera that looks over those. It's enormous. And they're about $5,000. And they were like, this is probably what you're going to want. You can carry it around between your classes <laughs> in like a suitcase, like a literal suitcase. And I was like, hmm, do you have anything else? And uh, option B. <laughs> and they handed me basically a digital recorder. They were like, this is this is the only other option. And I was like, I mean, at that point, I guess it was, what was it, 2016? Mm -hmm. I was like, there's got to be another option. There has to be another option. Um, and the only other real piece of technology I had ever been offered was um, what's called a digital magnifier. Yep. And if you've ever worked with a digital magnifier, it looks exactly like a smartphone, um, except for the fact that it's probably got about eight pixels on the entire screen. Um, it doesn't zoom very well. The display is not very bright and the user interface is horribly confusing. Um, it's offensive, frankly, to a civilized young woman like you who's on the cutting edge of technology. Don't be giving me something from the 18th century for crying out loud. And the, the challenge with it kind of was that I was given this and I, I remember asking how expensive it was. It was several hundred dollars more than the top line iPhone at the time, oh which just kind of blew my mind. And that I think is what really got my wheels turning um, for what ended up being Reboca. Yeah. And so, you know, you go off to college and Bucknell and you're, what, what were you, what was your undergrad degree in? I studied biomedical engineering as one does. And so, and was it because you wanted to dive deeper into this type of technology? What, what compelled you to go down that lane? I had actually always wanted to go into neuroscience. Um, I loved the brain. I thought the brain was fascinating and I was going to be a neurosurgeon. I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And then I actually, um, I tell this story in, in another talk that I, I give, but I went to this conference for high school students who are interested in medicine. It's called the Congress of Future Medical Leaders. And um, it was like three days. It was in Boston, actually. Um, and it was an incredible experience. And they brought in all of these doctors to talk about all the fantastic things they were doing. And I walked away realizing that the thing I was most excited about, actually, was this bionic pancreas um, that this one doctor from Boston University had um, had been working on developing. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. How do I get involved in like medical technology? And I think that was the first time I had ever learned that engineering of any kind was an option. And so when I discovered that not only was engineering an option, but biomedical engineering would give me that medicine background and also yeah. the engineering that I wanted, it was a perfect fit. Oh my gosh, I love that. And so, and, and this is part of, you know, how our lived experiences prepare us for our work in the world. But did you ever think while you were starting to, the ideas were starting to formulate that you would like maybe take this to somebody to help you launch? Or had, did you always start feeling like, you know what, I want to be the one to bring this to market? I, it kind of started very much like a like a research project. Mm -hmm. I had received a grant from my university to pretty much develop a solution to this lack of low vision or lack of assistive mm -hmm. technology for the moderate low vision population. Um, and it all just kind of flowed from there from, okay, let's try to figure out a solution. And, you know, this is a tribute to the fantastic mentorship that I had. Um, it just flowed very naturally into a company. And as it did, I kind of uh, gained more and more love and more and more passion for it and was like, you know what, 
I really am the right person to be doing this. So I'm going to bring on, you know, the people that we need to make this happen, to make this um, a reality. But I am, um, this is really, this is, this is my thing. This is what I am meant to do. Right. And so how did you come up with the name Reboka? Yes. Uh, that's a, that's actually a fun story. Um, oftentimes people think that the name Reboka has something to do with my name, which is Rebecca. That is actually not the case. And um, I can bring one of my undergrad professors in to testify to the fact that I almost didn't choose the name because I didn't like that it sounded like my first name. Um, actually, um, if you're familiar with photography, Boca is a photography term. It's sort of those balls of light that you get in the background of an image when the background is out of focus. Um, that's called bokeh. You've probably seen it. You maybe never have heard the, the term. Um, and so bokeh is kind of kind of characterized by this blurriness. And so I wanted reboka to be a re-clarifying of what is nice. blurry. Nice. See, that's I think that's great. And you and what do the circle circles mean on your brand? So those are those are the bokeh balls. Um, okay. Those are the circles of light. Um, and I just thought the way they kind of overlapped was was fun and they're they're kind of nice and so you like had to begin know. somewhere, all right, because given the options that you were given, option A and B being so unacceptable and frankly ridiculously expensive, and everybody knows somebody with low vision in their life. So I'm sure you were probably just aghast that nobody had even figured this out, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, what I had kind of, uh, what I've come to learn over the couple years that I've been doing this is that the assistive technologies that are out there are useful, but they're useful for people who are blind or very near blind. But vision impairment is really this enormous spectrum, and it ranges from those people who are blind or very near blind to um, people who really just kind of need a pair of glasses and it gets their vision right back up to um, what would be normal or, or functionally normal. But this, there's this whole subset of people um, in the middle uh, where myself, where I, I personally fall, that is low vision or moderate vision impairment. So I can wear glasses, I have glasses, but even when I have those on, they can't actually correct um, all of the different vision impairments that I have. And so as a result of that, I'm kind of in this this weird middle ground where I don't need something enormous and super expensive, mm -hmm. but I do need more than just a pair of glasses. And so you had to start with creating an app, which means you had to start working on as a project, a research project, your minimum viable product. So, and you're a college student, you got a grant, which is very helpful. How did you do outsource the tech? How did you start the process? Yes. So that's actually quite a story. Um, I was very overeager when I first started and I, I the, like maybe two weeks into the project, I said, I'm going to code this myself. I have an engineering degree. I can figure it out. Um, and I sat <laughs> down and I think I spent a full day on my bed in my dorm room trying to figure out how to work Xcode. <laughs> and thankfully, I pretty much figured out within that first day that it was not going to be an efficient use of time or energy for me to be the software developer. There was just too much for me to learn at that point. Um, and so I kind of, I had someone that I had in mind that uh, I was connected with. And I basically, I ended up spending about a year waiting for that person to get on board, trying to pitch them and trying to continuously sort of bring them in. And really this went on for about a year. And that's what I think... 
I think that was a very interesting learning experience now looking back and saying, I waited all of this time for this person that I thought would would come on board and, and they never did. And one day I just kind of sat back and I realized, you know what? There are other people who do this. Why why am I waiting on this person? Um and so but that's I, so that's such an important insight. As we say up here out of outside of Boston, we all always go say, Dawn breaks over marble head. Um, you know, it's that aha moment. And it absolutely was. It was like, wait a second. There are other people who have this skill set, and I bet I can find them. And so I started reaching out to some of my professors from undergrad. I was like, hey, do you know anybody who's good? And my one professor just so happened to know um, another alum from my undergrad, actually. His name is Jacob. And I talked to Jacob a couple of different times. And he's just someone who's super excited by cool new projects. And we were at the height of the pandemic. And so he was like, yeah, I'll do your app. I'll come on. Um, and so he is he's now part of the company and he oh, does so our great. software development. Yeah, and he built our MVP in like four months. He's incredible. Wow. And so then you put it out into beta and you start testing it. And I've seen you, you know, you're so good at, seriously, folks, if you want to get some great instruction, I know this is going to fill the uh, mythology that only the youth can do these wonderful IG stories or reels or TikToks, but you can do them at any age. Go watch Rebecca on Instagram, check out her reels. But you do a great job of walking people through how the MVP works. How's been, who have you tested it on and what is the feedback that you've gotten? Yeah, um, we've been lucky. We had quite a few people sign up to be part of the beta test. Um, unfortunately, we're only on iOS right now. So that yeah. limited us a little bit with who could participate. But we've had optometrists, we've had ophthalmologists, we've had obviously people with vision impairments, uh, people who are low vision technology specialists and teachers of the visually impaired. Um, we've actually started testing it um, in small doses with people who are colorblind. Um, some of the color filters we found to actually be really helpful um, to help people who are colorblind adjust the colors enough that they can differentiate between two different things yeah. that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Um, and so we got some really great feedback out of the gate about a lot about the user interface and just learning how and when people are using the app has been incredible. I've seen some really cool um really exciting and unique ways people have used it. Um, we had someone who actually set the app up. And so it's just a live sort of video feed and it mm -hmm. helps you add image adjustments over sort of what you're seeing live so that a person with a vision impairment can basically customize their world to see it the way that they need to. And that and can be a board. It can be, what, what are they usually looking at and needing help assistance with? Yes. So we actually had someone who set it up so that they could see their orchestra conductor, um, which obviously needs to happen in, in real time if you're going to be, you know, on beat with everybody else, um, which I just thought was such a creative use of the technology. I love that picture. Um, we've had people use it for um, menu boards that are kind of far away. Like I can't read a menu board unless I, I use my app. Um, right. I actually used it the other day. Um, my new foster cat was hiding under my bed and I couldn't find her. So I used my flashlight and my Revoca app and I zoomed <laughs> in under the bed until I could find her. <laughs> oh my gosh, Rebecca, that is so wonderful. And and have you reached a point where people will be paying for this? How? What's the next step that you're on in improving your value proposition? 
Yes, so we are super excited to be um, launching officially on the iOS App Store in just the next couple of weeks. Um, just putting some finishing touches on some um, super boring backend things. Um, and then we will be out in the iOS App Store. Um, it's free to download. There's going to be um, about a week of a free trial that is happening. And then um, it'll be sort of a very low payment monthly subscription. Excellent. So I just first I want to... Just say right here, congratulations. The important thing we do, folks, that was my value prep slide for the listeners. The most important thing that we can do as a founder is to prove that value prop. And I just got so excited by the feedback that you got too. This is the best thing about sending your MVP out to people you do not know, okay? Not family and friends, people who are complete strangers because you're going to get these incredible ideas of use, you know, and get some great feedback on how to do things better or to have more features that you can build in down the road and have that on your to-do list. So exciting. And hey, Jeanette, I am so happy to see you. Jeanette's from Virginia. So right down the road from Rebecca in Baltimore. And Jeanette, it is amazing, right? There's just... We, we forget that we have segments of our population who are trying to struggle to be part of where we're at with technology and how we communicate with the world now. And I am so happy that Rebecca came up with this wonderful, wonderful idea to serve folks. So you've outsourced the tech, you've brought your tech person in. So now, and how does that work? Because again, other founders are out there going, well, how do I bring someone in who's making all this money at a company and I don't have that kind of money to give them. And how did you negotiate your co-founder or at least your tech, your CTO person? Yes. So um, he came on in sort of an equity role. Um, so um, I was lucky that, you know, his great full-time job that he has um, is taking care of him such that. Excellent. <laughs> That's so important. And I just want to just take a moment right there, folks, you can bring someone on board if you understand what is the time constraint for them, you know, with the commitment and they can still be on payroll somewhere. In fact, you founders can be on payroll too <laughs> while you're creating something on the side. You can only watch so much TV or sports, you know, fill that time with bringing your product to market while you can keep a roof over your head. Right. And so Excellent advice, Rebecca. So you gave him some equity. He's working full time. You're still able. And is he local or is he remote for you? He is actually, he's in Boston, actually. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So we've <laughs> only met in person actually one time, which I think is a fun tidbit of information, yes. but we meet pretty much on a weekly basis um, in the evenings um, on Zoom and have been able to foster a really good, um, not only working relationship, but I would say friendship. Um, oh, that's so wonderful. And so um, I just had this other question just went right out of my head. Um, but now you're, are you, you're managing a team of 10 engineers as part as of your fellowship. Talk a little bit about that because you're having to do quite a lot and juggle a lot of plates and balls in the air as well. Yes. So that's actually been a super interesting experience. It's almost given me a taste of what Reboca could look like um, in a few years. Yeah. Um, I So the way my grad program works, I kind of, I did my first year and I was working on a couple of projects with a team. And now I'm in my second year and I am a team lead for one of those two projects I worked on during my first year. 
everybody from my first year had kind of transitioned out of the program. And so I pretty much had to build our team of what is now 11 or 12 people um, pretty much from scratch, um, which I think was a super interesting exercise in team building. Uh, Yes. Really, really exciting. Um, And so what we do is we're actually developing a a handheld field tool for workers in sub-Saharan Africa to speciate um, mosquito specimens, which is- Oh my gosh. Sounds kind of like wildly specific, but (laughs) it's actually super, super important. Um, Basically what they do is a process called vector surveillance, um, where people go out and they collect mosquito specimens from different areas. And based on the distribution of different species in different areas, they can target interventions against those species specifically so that we can minimize um, vector-borne diseases like malaria yeah. is really what we're focused on. Oh, oops, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I took myself and put myself into solo there. Oh my gosh, Rebecca. I mean, that's such exciting work too. And then, you know, in the evenings, you're busy creating and building Robec- uh, Reboca to get that out and into the world. That's amazing. And and how have you funded uh, Reboca in, in bringing funds in so that you can make sure J- Jacob has a little something and some other people you're able to pay along the way? So our funding, um, which to date has been about $30,000, is um, entirely non-dilutive. We've won uh, a couple of different pitch competitions, um, a couple of different grants we've received. We actually just um, yesterday started um, the Johns Hopkins Technology Ventures Fuel Accelerator, which is an accelerator program that will bring us sort of mentorship and networking um, and some workshops and different things and also comes with a small stipend and the opportunity for um, a larger prize at our demo day at the end of the semester. So we're excited about that. But We've been able to pretty much do it um, just with non-dilutive funding. Yeah. And and folks, non-dilutive means that, you know, nobody gets any equity. They're giving you the money. It's grant money. You have won it. It's free and clear. There's no strings attached. It's not debt that you have to pay back. It's delicious. Right, Rebecca? It's the best thing that you can get, <laughs> in my opinion. And they're out there. We've had, you know, we had a grant person on earlier <clears throat> in the fall of 2021. Grants are out there, folks. And if you're having a hard time, I've got some great um, women who will help you find those grants, nail them down, write them, et cetera. They're remarkable. It's what they do every day and live and breathe it. And, uh, oh, look at this. Jeanette, she's from Ghana, and we have a lot of mosquitoes. Malaria is killing lots of people in Africa. Yes, absolutely. I actually spent three weeks in Ghana, um, in Accra and in Tamale um, in August. So very familiar with how they do mosquito collections in Ghana. Um, It's really an interesting process um, and very, very important. um, Yes, I'm so sorry for the the folks in Africa getting killed by the mosquitoes. And I know the Gates Foundation has put out a lot for that. But I think where you're going is even more important to just stop the disease from whenever you get stung. Um, okay, so you've been funding it along the way. And now when you go to launch in a few weeks with the iOS, how are you going to distribute this? How are you going to reach potential customers? How are you going to connect with them? Yes. So right now we've kind of we have a list of people who've been part of our beta test who will kind of be that first um, push 
because you know as we go into kind of our, our first official launch the beta test will will slow down significantly mm-hmm. um, we've also been lucky enough to work with several different organizations who support the visually impaired um, we'll be speaking at a couple of different conferences over the next several months um, one in April and one in uh, July specifically actually for members of the albinism community mm-hmm. um, which is the thing that I have. Um, so we're really, really excited about that. Um, and, you know, also just to be totally honest, we're working on our um, app store optimization so that we can be found organically as people are trying to find these different, you know, magnifier apps. Because there are there are magnifier apps out there, um, but most of the time they're they're pretty substandard. And, and that is so important. Folks, probably don't understand how important that app SEO is. You know, when you do, you know, search engine optimization for apps, it's a specific way so that people, when they search, you know, magnifying app, yours is going to pop up and have them uh, learn more about the ability and how to use it. And when do you think you'll build for Android? Hoping, uh, hoping to do that in the next year or so. I'll say, (laughs) that's what I'll say that. (laughs) It's very important to us. Um, You know, we've gotten quite a few people who are asking us to do it on Android. And, um, you know, it's a group of people that we want to make sure we're not leaving out. So it is important, but we, you know, had to start somewhere. And that's right. And in in America, you know, we have an abundance of uh, iOS app users, whereas, you know, internationally, that changes significantly. So that will be something, but you know what I love about your John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins fellowship program is again, you're building your founder skill set, Rebecca, and that makes you more fundable so that when you move forward and start to raise more money and maybe go through raising capital, uh, the investors are going to look at you and you're going to be able to point to those experiences and say, this is why I'm uniquely qualified as a founder, because when you're as young as you are, and you can talk some more about this, there are going to be constraints and there are going to be those questions and coupled with the fact that you are a female founder. So the questions are usually going to be more, not what happens if you succeed, but what's, well, how are you going to handle this problem and that problem? What has that been like when you've gone to pitch events? What kind of questions have you had and how, what has worked for you in coming back with responses and what did you learn? Absolutely. Um, So I think one of the biggest challenges that we have hit in pitch events is that People don't quite understand, and this is a general problem that we found with really the entire population, is that people don't quite understand that this moderate low vision category is different. Um, you know, I I have, I myself and other people with low vision have very, very different lived experiences than those who are, are blind. And we've actually, um, as a company um, and as me personally, have been able to see this Um through a low vision subreddit that we built, um, I guess in July, just today, we actually crossed the 300 members threshold. Um, And what I've really seen resounding is that people in the low vision community are like, yes, my lived experience is so, so different than people who are blind. But oftentimes in communities where we're talking about blindness and low vision, we're really only talking about blindness. But people with low vision just have such a different different experience. And a lot of times I found that judges and investors, they need to be educated a little bit more on 
why things like um, things that speak to you and different types of assistive technologies that are out today are really not appropriate for this moderate low vision category. Um, and so that's something I've, I've learned quite a bit about how to articulate that effectively and efficiently. And, and bring them back to the population that's there because part of when you are at a pitch event, you have to be able to address your uh, launchable market but more importantly, your serviceable market, so they can see that there's enough of a market out there. Do you have a number for how many people suffer from similar low vision challenges, not blind, low vision? Yes. Um, so that has actually also been a challenge that we had to parse out pretty early on. Um, again, they're so often combined um, that I think generally um, everybody needs to be educated on how they are different from one another. But in our, based on our math, we're looking at in the United States alone, between 25 and 40 million people who have a moderate vision impairment. Wow. Okay. So that's enough of a market size. Say that again for the people in the back. Between 25 and 40 million people. That's, you know, that's a lot. And that's, that's, those are the ones you've been able to hopefully nail down. I'm sure there's significantly more. And so, right. Yeah, so that's based really on, um, you know, picking out a few different specific um, types of vision impairment. So yeah. glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, albinism, um, keratoconus, uh, yeah. all things like that. And kind of adding those up, that's how we got to our, our numbers. But and, and this is how I met Rebecca, everybody. She, I was on a panel for Startup Boston Week, right? And, yes. and you came in and you were part of it. And I was so blown away by how well you address the issues, how quickly we all understood what's going on. Because, you know, a lot of people in med tech and biomed tech go, oh, I can't possibly tell my story in three minutes. I go, yes, you can. <laughs> and you Absolutely. did, Rebecca. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that, so I live in sort of the med tech world at the Center for Bioengineering Innovation and Design, and I'm lucky that Roboka is just far enough outside the med tech world in that we don't really need to worry about FDA regulation or CMS reimbursement that it's a lot easier to talk about. Um, yeah. And so now, and of course, sometimes that happens, this happens for founders who are very excited about their solution they have it planted in their head. If you build it, they will come, which is a lovely mythology. And so how are you working to increase brand awareness? So when you go to launch, how are you going to splash, get the word out? And you said you're going to you know, be talking, speaking at events that are addressing this, but there's going to have to be some of what we used to always call guerrilla marketing uh, in reaching out and helping you get the word out. Yes. Um, I think one of the most interesting and unique um, options that we have considered is um, my my friend and I were at a, a restaurant in New York and it was one of those like dark restaurants. And after being there for 20 minutes or so, we started noticing that everybody around us was using their smartphone and the, the flashlight to read the menu. That was not only very small, but like a very difficult font um, in this dark restaurant. And my friend was like, you know what, you should get business cards made and you should just go to these restaurants and hand them out to people and be like, you should use our app to achieve what you're like desperately trying to do, but it's clearly not working because 
everyone was clearly struggling. Oh my gosh, but this is very exciting because now you have another addressable market. So, you know, you solve the problem here and then you can step back and go, wow, colorblind people, wow. And then here's another segment of the population that we can serve. And the best thing you can do, folks, is that when you've solved your problem, solve it for that one specific customer segment first, and then piggyback off that, springboard off that. Don't go all the way over here and try to do something else. Always build on top of what you already have. So I'm so excited for you and the team at uh, Reboca to have these opportunities once you launch. Now, when does your fellowship wrap up? Um, about May, maybe the end of the summer. It's it's a little bit flexible. Yeah, and then, and yet, yeah, I'm assuming fellowship, you get paid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that is definitely it's paying my bills right now. Um, Excellent. So I love it, and I'm learning a lot. So oh, of course, it's ideal. And you're in an academic setting, and research, and all the tools and resources are there for you to support your, you know, after you leave the fellowship habit, uh, Reboka. But here now, you're going to be going full time as an owner, a founder, yes? Or will you continue working for someone? So the goal is to go full time. Um, and so that is that is what I'm putting out into the universe. Um, the reality is that I will need to figure out how to financially support myself. Yep. I'm 23. My savings are about $12 in total. <laughs> um, Just like so everybody else who's much older. Go on. <laughs> So it's possible that I will need to sort of figure something else out and we're we've got a couple things in the works there. Yeah. But, uh, and, and are you, but are you raising equity so we can let the world know that you're available for investment and do you have a dollar amount that you are raising? So I think we will probably begin raising capital sometime in the summer. Um, okay. Probably looking at a first round of between 500,000 and a million dollars. Yeah. Boston loves biomed, by the way. The investors do. So we've got great operator investors here. So you be sure to reach out and let me know when Absolutely. that time is ready. And um, I'll be sure to share some names with you. Thank so, you. you know, you're young. You still, you know, feeling good about getting out there and sharing this and, and putting out your wonderful new product. What does a successful outcome look like for you with Reboca? Reboca. We really... Um, want to see this in the hands of every single person who could benefit from it. Um, and that is really not only people with vision impairments for whom it would make a world of difference, but even for people who just are needing or using um, reading glasses at this point. And I think ultimately we would really like to see it be um, a natural part of um, new technology as it comes out, especially technology that is meant to um, to help people see and to be a really integrated part of, of people's lives. I love that vision. I think that's something that, you know, I love the fact that <laughs> Jeanette, you're, you were just thinking what I'm about to say. Jeanette says, I'm sitting here trying to read the time off my stove and I can hardly see the numbers. I'm thinking I need <laughs> Reboca. That's so good, Jeanette. We would love to have you. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the beauty of it all. Oh, my gosh. And and so as you have moved through your processes of being a founder, I really get that you're very resource oriented. Has there 
is there a tool that you just loved or something that you read that just said, yes, this has really made my journey easier that you could share with other founders? Yes. I think that maybe this is a little bit, um, a little bit cliche, but I have found that networking is so, so incredibly important. The number of things that I have been able to achieve and people I've been able to meet would not have happened if I hadn't done my networking years before I needed those things. Um, I've gotten some really incredible things, both from a mentorship perspective, as well as from a, a real resource perspective from other people, especially as a young founder from people who are a lot older than me. Um, yeah. So I would really say that that is the most important thing you can do. And I have also found that networking becomes a lot easier when you have um, when you have something to talk about, when you have something to stand on. And so yes. Reboca over the last couple of years has really been helpful to me because I have been able to have something very specific that I can talk to people about and it helps them remember who I am and right. remember what I'm doing. And I and think you that have, is important. And you have good calls to action, I'm sure, right? Which yes. is what I'm going to ask you right now. How can the Startup Life Live community, anybody listening or watching this later, how can they add wind to your sales? What do you need? Absolutely. Um, so we're, because we're excited about our launch, um, you know, I think every single person knows somebody in this moderate low vision community. I have been blown away by the number of people who've come to me and been like, oh yeah, my brother has that or my cousin or, you know, the person who sits in the cubicle next to me at work. Um, and so bringing those people to us and making them aware of our technology um, and you know, getting them signed up for updates from us so that they can be a part of our launch uh, when the day comes in a few weeks. I think that is the most important thing that we could ask for right now is, um, is awareness. Excellent. So I will have all the links in the show notes, everybody. But if you're watching the video, you can see it right there. Reboka.com. R-E-B-O-K-H-E-H.com. R-E-B-O-K-E-H.com. And on Instagram, you've got to follow Rebecca. So and not Reboka you too. Okay. So go to at R-E-B-O-K-E-H-V-I-S-I-O-N and watch and, and watch Rebecca and her team in action and really share. And this is where I think video shorts are going to help you so much. It's a wonderful way to playfully educate your playfully educated you know, person. So you have um, a lot of uh, fun ways and unique ways to share the message. And we know TikTok, everybody, whether you like it or not, is the really the number one platform out there. All ages are sharing wonderful pieces of advice. And that's another great place for you to find. Uh, Re Reboka, does Reboka have its own handle yet on TikTok? It doesn't actually. I fought the TikTok wave for longer than I should have and only have just gotten onto it in maybe the last month. So, <laughs> and, and yet you could repurpose all of your IG reels and shorts Absolutely. over there. I'm just saying. Um, now, 23 years old, of course, you're going to feel inadequate. You're going to have moments of imposter syndrome. But here's a hint for you, Rebecca. People feel that way all the way until their last breath. I have a TED Talk link, if anybody wants it, that a gentleman out of Australia, cashed out entrepreneur, I'm talking unicorn cashed out, 
He talks about how his next business he was felt so uncertain about. Another person in Europe, same thing, three really successful businesses still feels uncertain when they go and launch a new business and in the middle of launching it because each business is unique. What have you learned as a young woman to shift your mindset, Rebecca, when you're feeling inadequate, when you know the inner critic is being a little too tough on you? I think that it has been helpful for me to grow up with a disability. And because I have faced those feelings and those things from the time that I was in kindergarten and I was the only one who couldn't read the board or, you know, couldn't participate in this game or that game or couldn't play sports because my face is a magnet for balls and I don't have the reaction time to protect myself. Um, I think it, Growing up with those experiences has actually minimized as a founder the extent to which I feel those things. Um, but when when they do inevitably come, I think that I, I look back at all of the things that I have been able to achieve, not just when it comes to funding or, you know, the number of people we have using the app, but even just interpersonal things that I have overcome um, and things that I have accomplished from a from a personal perspective and really reflecting on how those things have affected me and how I've been able to, or how I have, um, or what I have learned from those things. That's the words I'm looking for. Um, I think that has really been the most helpful. Yeah. You built muscles. You built resilience muscles because of your other ableness and having to be criticized and, you know, manage all the people looking at you like what, you know, why and huh? And being sort of uh, singled out. And so this is what happens when you're a founder. You're going to have a lot of people going, what are you doing? Yeah, or you might feel like you look like an idiot or whatever. And I think as you know, at a young age, you have learned that when you build up those muscles, those courage muscles, those resilience and persistence muscles because of your uniqueness, that serves you. And that lived experience. And I, you know, this is something that's so important that you let investors know, mentors know, and people know that you of course, you come across as a very strong, capable, confident woman, but here's why, okay? And it's not to say anything bad for folks who cannot manage those circumstances and growing up with their unique abilities, and it wasn't easy. You chose to be fierce about it, and now you're stepping out even more into the spotlight. And I know that you're influencing so many people, Rebecca, with just how you be in the world. I'm, I'm just so grateful for your own leadership and uh, providing evidence to folks that they can do it. Thank you so much. It's been quite a journey and quite a roller coaster. Yeah. And now as far as entrepreneurship, I mean, you fortunately have had other gigs. So you've learned how operations work for other people and payroll and, and all of those things. But how has this journey as with a side hustle for the last two plus years served you both personally and professionally? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't think there are any ways that it hasn't. I don't think there is any aspect of life where what I have learned through this experience hasn't come in handy. Um, 
I sort of at my my job at Johns Hopkins, I sort of live in a, a startup focused world. And so very practically, very mechanically, I am able to sort of provide advice and guidance from like a make sure you're you're setting up an LLC and not a C corporation, because if you do the wrong one, then you're going to get pummeled by taxes. Um, but also from a perspective of really learning how to tell a story um, and I think stand up in front of people and, and talk about something that is really, truly, deeply personal to me. Um, yes. And also to kind of discuss, um, you know, how how I have sort of overcome a lot of different things mm-hmm. to get here and how that kind of provides some some level of confidence to really anything that I do. Absolutely. Oftentimes when we can look back and said, well, I had the courage to do that. I can do this. Absolutely. Yes. And of course I often say, say to my kids, my sons too, just, wow, that went all wrong. I got that out of the way. <laughs> you know? Definitely. It's not about having a smooth journey, everybody. It really isn't. It's understanding that we learn so much when we stumble and we learn so much when we try. You just never fail when you launch a business and don't be caged by your age. You can do it at any time in your life. And, you know, I say that to a lot of folks who are over 60 and 70 as well. You don't need to be young to launch a business. You may have more to lose, but you don't have to be young. And, you know, for all the young folks in my life who I love and adore, you know how much I believe in you. And I truly believe in your ability and capability to nail this, Rebecca. Any last thoughts before I pop you in the green room and wrap up the show? Um. I think one thing that I I would like to put out into the world um, is that I think people are often very scared by the word disability. Um, But something that I have learned um, is that in general, the the disability community, and that's, you know, vision, hearing, any type, um, really truly resonate with that word and, and want to hear people refer to them as that because that is how they would refer to themselves. Um, and so just would like to put that kind of out into the universe that don't don't be afraid to say that word because for some people it is part of their identity. That is really good because, and that informs a lot of us because we want, we don't want to insult anyone. So sometimes they, we feel that if we use the word disabled, that we're saying someone's not abled. And you're saying, hey, that's part of our identity. So just call it like it is. We're good with it. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for that. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) That is so good to know. Okay. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm going to pop you into the green room. I'm going to wrap up the show that folks who know who's coming on next. And I'll see you on the other side. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been Uh, great to be here. Oh, I just love every piece of your story. I'm a big fan. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Oh my gosh. You know, this is such a perfect example, folks, of how you can be at any age. You have a passion for solving a problem. You can do it. And also your lived experience serves you. And boy, did we learn so much from such a young woman. I love that more than anything. So let me tell you who's coming up next on the Startup Life live show on Tuesday, February 8th at 12 p.m. ET. We're chatting with Parentpreneur Foundation founder and seasoned entrepreneur, James Oliver 
Jr. He's sharing how his foundation empowers Black parentpreneurs to succeed at entrepreneurship so they may leave a legacy for their beautiful Black children. And boy, does James know firsthand what it's like to parent. Well, as I say, raising babies and business at the same time. He's amazing and he's changing lives every single day with this wonderful foundation. So, hey, join the meetup group. So you always know when I've posted a new show and then be sure to set the reminder when you uh, go to the show, wherever it is, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, set that reminder so that you can come back and join us live or via replay. So before I go, I just want to remind everybody, this is like my favorite thing to say, that you promise me you'll remember that you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem. And oh yeah, as we say here in Boston, wicked smarter than you think. You've got this. I believe in you. And I'm so happy that you carved up time to up your founder game. I'm waving wildly and blowing kisses filled with appreciation for your founder journey. You're amazing. Thank you for bringing your gifts to the world. I'll see you next time.